welcome to Emmanuel Anglican Church. Thank you so much for joining us for worship. My name is Father Aaron Damiani. You can call me Aaron if you so desire, Father Aaron. And uh, we are in a series called Who Are You?, which is about our identity and our purpose in our union with Christ. So my wife and I recently introduced our kids to the board game Settlers of Catan. And if you haven't played the game before, you really should, because you're a glutton for punishment like I am. Settlers of Catan is a game where you become a settler in the mythical land of Catan. This land produces many exotic resources like wheat and ore, (laughs) sheep, wood, and brick. And each player is like a settler with little tiny houses, little tiny roads. And if you get to 10 points because you've built your settlement so large, you win the game. Now, there's different resources uh, that people get. Some people get lots of resources. Like, why is 11 being rolled all the time, this particular game? And one person's getting all, the, all these resources. But anyway, as you grow your resources, you grow your settlement. It gets larger. And so you form alliances because some people have resources that you need and you have resources that they need. So there's this convenient alliance that grows. Hey, you know, I've got lots of brick, but you have lots of ore and I need your ore to build into a city. But you need my brick to build the longest road. So we trade and we trade. But that unity is so fragile, isn't it? Oh, that unity breaks down so fast. All it takes is for the alliance to not be convenient for you anymore. You've already got the longest road. Oh, I'm not trading. Or maybe someone puts the robber on your resource. Oh. And then the next time, where are you going to put the robber? Oh, on their resource. Because the underlying reality of the game is not the alliance. The underlying reality of the game is individual competition. Right? And that underlying reality will eventually emerge and become visible. It will eventually become transparent. It will eventually become known to all. You know, at the end of the day, I may have made an alliance with you temporarily, but now you'll see what's true, which is that It's just me. Me versus you, me next to you, but it's not us. It's me. Do you ever wonder if you're playing a game called Settlers of Chicago? Where the underlying reality of the game, whether you're competitive or not, is it's just me. Maybe there's an alliance along the way. Maybe there's a temporary connection because it's working out for both parties. But at the end of the day, it's not really us. It's just me. Maybe because it's no longer convenient. Or maybe because there's an offense. But at the end of the day, what surfaces is the underlying reality, which is that I'm not really in any kind of permanent bond with anyone in my life. 
But what if there were more permanent bonds? Deeper than me and deeper than you. Could there be? What if the deepest reality of your life is that you were not alone? What if that was the deepest reality, the most real thing about your life is that you, at the end of the day, are not alone? I'm talking about a wonderful and sacred mystery for you to participate in, for me to participate in. Larger than me and larger than you, yet nevertheless capturing both of us, capturing all of us. What if there was a story more profound, more beautiful for you than being an individual player in a competition? What if you were more than a settler in Chicago? What if you could move from a self-serving love of others to a love that is more enduring and more real? A love that would over time surface and become transparent and indeed become a sacrament of something very true at the heart of God and at the heart of creation. We're in a series called Who Are You? Who are you? And we're rediscovering our purpose and our identity and our union with Jesus Christ. And you know what? When people ask the question, who, who are you? We've become hesitant to answer that relationally, haven't we? We've been trained to answer that question individually. Who are you in terms of your accomplishments? Who are you in, in terms of your commitments? But what about who are you relationally? We can't fully answer that question without including the relationships in our life because we are relational creatures. We're made in relationships. We can't fully answer the question of who we are without pointing to our, our, our parents, our, our cousins, our, our friends, people who've defined us. Our relationships and bonds, we've been told that our relationships and our bonds diminish our individual identity. That's not true. Our relationships and our bonds fill out our identity. They become more complete when we know who we are in relationship to other people. If you've been united with Jesus Christ, which is the great gift of salvation, we've been talking about for the last few weeks, you can no longer be known as an individual. When you have been united with Jesus Christ, you can only answer the question, who are you relationally? Yes, it has an individual component, but it is deeply relational. You're not just a beautiful and special tree, okay? You are part of a forest, part of an ecosystem with interlocking roots. Paul, in our, the author of our text, uses the image of a body. You are the body of Christ. Okay, when you're united with Christ, you become an integrated and organic part of a body. And a body lives together or dies together. A body suffers together and rejoices together. A body is bound together organically. Vitally. There's blood coursing through it, the blood of Christ. 
You're forever bound to the body of Christ when you are united with Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul describes that reality earlier in our text, uh, er earlier in the book. He says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new people. One new people. Once far off, brought near in his flesh. It is very intimate. It is very organic. It is very rich. And it is a deep bond that we are forever given when we are united with Jesus Christ. And we're being built, he said, into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So Christ, through his blood, has brought you near in his body, and the Holy Spirit is creating in us an ecosystem where God can dwell and where God can show the world what is apparent in God must be made transparent to the world, which is a bond that lasts forever. Our text puts it this way in verse four. There is one body and one spirit. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What does this mean? It means that if you're, you are united with Jesus Christ, you are not alone in the world. If you're united with Jesus Christ, you cannot answer the question, who are you individually anymore? It has individual components. But at your core, you are relational, and at your core, you are connected to the one Lord, to the one faith, the one baptism, and the hope that belongs to your call. That means that Emmanuel Anglican Church is bound together with the larger body of Christ in Chicago as well, with the global church around the world, the suffering church around the world. We have an indissolvable bond with each other, and we have an indissolvable bond with everyone else who is united with Jesus Christ, everyone else. I've mentioned to some of you that I was on jury duty at the end of last year, I was at the Cook County uh, Courthouse, and I was on a jury. The jury was selected with people from all over Cook County, some of them from the suburbs, suburban Cook County, some of them from the city, north side, west side, south side. And none of us would have chosen each other. The only reason that we were there is that we all lived in Cook County. We were all selected for the calling of seeking justice. We sat in a cramped jury room. We ate stale donuts together. Over a span of 11 days, it was interesting. We didn't choose each other, but we became like family. Different races, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different ages. But we were bound together 
We didn't choose each other, but we had a calling together. And let me tell you, by day 11, do you know what we were doing? We were holding hands. I'm serious. We were praying together, no joke. When we had to give the verdict, we were weeping together. And I'm telling you what, if I ever see someone from that jury again, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them a big old Aaron Damiani hug. Watch out, by the way. Because we, we were, and this is just a human construct thing, but it is similar to how Jesus builds his church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of all, who's over all and in all and through all. He creates a family that no one would have put together. He puts you with people you did not choose. And then he creates an indissolvable bond through his blood, by his spirit. And over time, that becomes transparent and visible like a sacrament to the world. Verse five and six say this, that the binding agent is the Lord. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a perfect illustration of unity and diversity existing together perfectly. They have individuality. They each have distinct identity, and yet they have a relational identity as well. They trust one another. They work together. They support each other. And they're bonded together forever. Through Jesus Christ, the reality of the Trinity becomes the reality of the church. And we experience individuality and being in relationship. We experience the same kind of bond that the Trinity has in the reality of the church, human relationships. When I marry some, a, a couple, um, the husband and the wife, uh, soon-to-be husband and wife, stand, stand before me and I take off this stole, and I wrap it around their wrists, and I pray over the couple, and this stole becomes a symbol of what the Lord Jesus is doing to bind together forever this man and this woman in holy marriage. What the Father does through his Son and through his Spirit is that he takes two people that have yet to be united and he binds them together. He wraps his very spirit around them. He's given his very blood to unite them and he binds them together forever. Not just for the next few weeks, not just for the next convenient season, but for, for all eternity. They will be bound together. We are bound together as the body of Christ when we're united with Jesus. There is no way around it. So what does that mean for us? This is important. It means that as the church, we are called to display to the world the unity of the body of Christ. As the church, as the living church, we are called to put on display the unity of the body of Christ. Now, you and I know 
this unity is so much more profound than how we experience it. And we know that this unity is so much bigger and global than we experience it. Nevertheless, how is Chicago going to see the unity of the body of Christ? How is Uptown going to see the unity of the body of Christ? How are people in your neighborhood or workplace going to see the unity of the body of Christ? They're going to see it by watching your life. They're going to see it by watching our church. They're going to see it by sitting around the table at your small group and looking at the ways you interact with one another. And all of a sudden, this deep, heavenly, beautiful, sacramental reality of the unity of the body of Christ comes out in a very humble way. Christ's unified body must become transparent in the way we relate with one another. I have not outgrown the simple joy of taking my car through the $3 car wash. I drive up to this car wash with my windshield caked with salt and mud and grime. In fact, I can barely see through it anymore, but I can see through it enough to drive up to that little place where I put my car in neutral and then I go through the magical stations. And there's soap that comes in and there's brushes and there's all kinds of magical, monstrous activity happening around the car. And by the time I come out, that caked windshield, all I could see was the salt and all I could see was the dirt. All of a sudden I can look through the windshield and for the life of me I can see something else. The windshield becomes transparent. And so must we. We are living in a world that is getting polarized. It's getting caked with the salt and the mud of suspicion and fear and division and accusation. People feel afraid and people feel alone, do they not? The body of Christ is called to be a transparent windshield so that people can look through us and see Jesus Christ, can look through us and see the unity of the body of Christ. Now, can you imagine playing that role? Our relationships are sacramental. A sacrament is an outward and visible display of an inward and spiritual grace. A sacrament makes visible what is otherwise not seen. And as the body of Christ, we are a sacramental display of what is true in God, what is true in Christ, what is true about the Father who is over all and through all, what is true about what Paul calls the bond of peace and the, 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 um, the bond of peace and the unity of the Spirit. We pray in communion, sanctify us also, that we may serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. What a holy calling that is for the body of Christ. Where else are people going to look to see something besides game playing? I mean, something besides polarization, something besides constant fracturing. Okay, here's what Paul says in another letter. He says this, to all who are in Christ, the new creation has begun. 
The old has passed away. All is becoming new. Think about this relationally with me. The old has passed away. There's something new. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but putting, us, putting in us the message of reconciliation. Putting in us, putting in us the message of reconciliation. A message to be spoken and a message to be lived out. It's our message. It's our possession. So what would that look like here at Emmanuel Anglican? And what would that look like in the greater body of Christ? How, uh, what would it look like for us to, to serve Christ as we pray in the liturgy in unity, constancy, and peace? Here's uh, a plea from a pastor and apostle who gave his life for the unity of the church. Paul the apostle says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I urge you to do that. So how do we do that? How do we display, how do we put on display the beautiful reality of the union we share with Jesus Christ and each other. First, we initiate relationships with humility. We initiate relationships with humility. Verses, uh, verse one says this. Paul is a prisoner for the Lord, and he's urging us to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And then he references with all humility. Now, most of us have learned to initiate relationships with caution, right? To initiate relationships cautiously. Why do, we initiate, uh, why do we initiate relationships cautiously? It's because we're careful. We don't want to put ourselves out there and be rejected. This is a natural human instinct. We'll give just, we'll, we'll bid a little bit giving a little bit of our, of our life and perspective and personality in a conversation, when we kind of wait for someone to do the same thing with us. And really what we would love to feel is just this overwhelming sense of acceptance. And once we feel that, then we lean in a little bit more. That's a natural thing. But as the body of Christ, we have a new power. We have new resources as we initiate relationships. And when we put ourselves out there, with invitations to come over to our house, when we put ourselves out there in asking someone to have lunch with us, when we put ourselves out there in initiating relationships of any kind, we're throwing, we're casting aside our caution to some degree and we're casting aside our pride. It's a humbling thing to initiate relationships, is it not? You are opening yourself up for rejection. And this is what Jesus Christ did. When you are united with Jesus Christ, you become open as he was open. The body of Christ, as it were, is open. Open arms, open heart, open life. Come, sit around my table. Come, what would it take to win you? What would it take to include you? Hey, I can handle rejection by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm concerned about you. Are you connected do you feel welcome? Do you feel known? 
The body of Christ has this kind of posture. It is an open posture. It is a humble posture. Christ was initiating relationships with people who always felt like they were on the outside of the inner ring. And so must we. So we take initiative, even if it's awkward, even if it risks rejection. Pastor Tim Keller defined humility in this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Think about that in relationship to initiating relationships. If you're thinking about yourself, you will be hindered in creating bids for connection in initiating relationships. But if you are thinking of yourself less, putting your mental and emotional energy, thinking about how can I include this person, put myself out there just a little bit more than is comfortable, you are demonstrating humility and you're making it more possible for people to experience the beautiful unity of the body of Christ, something at the very heart of the universe, something at the very heart of the Trinity. You're making it visible as you initiate relationships with humility. And that is our calling. Number two, we preserve relationships with patience. So we initiate relationships with humility, but you know what? Relationships must be preserved, and they must be preserved with patience. Paul exhorts us uh, to carry out our calling with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There is a 100% chance that you will be annoyed with fellow members of the body of Christ. Yes, that's right. Amen, indeed. Families annoy one another, do they not? Behavior is annoying sometimes. Habits are annoying sometimes. Foul breath is offensive sometimes. It'll take patience to preserve relationships around here. It will take trial and error to understand people who come from a different background than you. It will take many hours. It will take many awkward conversations. How long is your relational fuse? Is it a candle or is it a stick of dynamite? How long is your fuse? Can you absorb lots of awkwardness as you burn? Or do you quickly all the way get down to the nub and then boom, I'm out? Or just fizzle out, peace out? We need to learn the discipline, really, of preserving relationships with patience. When you do, when you endure awkward conversations, when you patiently make space for someone to fail, you are making visible to the world the amazing and beautiful unity of the body of Christ. There's no other way. There's no perfect people. So we initiate relationships with humility, but then we preserve relationships with patience, and finally, we restore relationships through peacemaking. Verse three says this, uh, Paul saying, I'm urging you to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
what a high calling this is. The unity of the Holy Spirit, which is brought about by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for the life of the world, is now maintained in the church. It's given to us. Hey, the, um, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace here, this is up to you to maintain this. It's not on you. You have the resources of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have the resources of the church. But this is a high calling for you. When you are united with Christ and made a part of his body, not only is there a 100% chance that you'll be annoyed, there is a 100% chance that you will be offended by another person in the body of Christ. There will be conflict in the body of Christ. 100% of us will get offended. 100% of us will have an opportunity to be an agent of division or an agent of unity. When that time comes, will we seek peace or will we peace out? When we experience conflict, Jesus has a teaching for us in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, what do you do? Write an indirect Facebook post (laughs) that will somehow get the message to them so that they'll change. When your brother or sister sins against you, bring someone else in to get them to understand the relational pain that has been caused to you. When someone sins against you, a brother or sister sins against you, here's what you should do. Send them a Facebook message. When your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them directly, face-to-face, by yourself, and you seek to be reconciled. Maybe you have a sin to confess to them. Maybe they have a sin to confess to you. The way to resolve conflict in the body of Christ was given to us by the Lord of the church himself when he said, go to your brother or sister directly and work it out directly. If it doesn't work, Jesus says, you bring in a mediator. You bring in a third party for the purpose of seeking the relationship, seeking to be restored. And you continue that process until reconciliation, face-to-face, humble, patient, loving reconciliation happens. You do it until it happens. The process of reconciliation puts the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. And it doesn't do it in a triumphalistic way. The, the, uh, reconciliation puts the humble, beautiful, open, bleeding gospel of Jesus Christ on display through your life, through our unity. Every time the living God brings unity out of disunity, every time we've worked through relational conflict, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, not only is it preserved, but it's put on display. We have way too many division stories. We need a whole lot more unity stories. Except the unity stories usually don't have the flash and pizzazz that the, that the disunity stories have. But we need some more mundane, everyday, humble, patient, loving stories of Christian unity being, being put on display by the body of Christ. 
It is indeed a sacramental display of the deeply bonded body of Christ. Now, in order to become a member at Emmanuel Anglican Church, what we do is we, talk, we teach potential members about what unity means for us. We actually we found that it's helpful to spell out what, in advance, the way we want to shepherd you to unity, the, way we, the, the behaviors and the attitudes that we want to call everyone to, myself included, when we find ourselves in conflict. It's called the Church Unity Pledge. We've actually made some copies available at the welcome table. You can pick one up if you want to learn more about what would it mean to become a member. Or maybe you're a member and you're like, I've forgotten about the church unity. I've forgotten about how we go about things here. I'll just read a couple of sentences from this. Conflict is a reality anytime people come together, including the church. Therefore, and this is what members say when they become a member, they're saying this. Therefore, I will not run from it. I will not over-spiritualize it or deny it. I will face it directly. If I sense tension with someone, I will go to that person and ask, is everything okay between us? That's a really humble thing to do. Is everything okay between us? If I am hurt or angry with someone, rather than talk to others about that, I will go to the person who hurt me doing my best to follow the guidelines in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, which I mentioned before. Since every situation has two sides, I will commit to not accept or believe any negative report, no matter who gave it, until I have gone to the other person and asked to hear his or her perspective. When, not if, I am hurt by another person in this church, I will work to forgive the person fully. I will work to consider others better than myself, focusing more on how I need to change than on how that other person who is bothering me needs to change. The unity of Christ's body become transparent in the way we initiate relationships with humility, preserve relationships with patience, and restore relationships with peacemaking. Not pretending everything's okay, not seeking to win and dominate, but to seek peace. If there is someone here today with whom you are unreconciled because they have sinned against you or you have sinned against them, I want to encourage you, if you have the opportunity during the peace of Christ, to seek reconciliation with that person. Go to them directly, and if you are able to do it, if it takes longer than you have opportunity in the peace, maybe you go over there and you keep your conversation going, or maybe it happens after the service. But when you come together to receive Holy Communion, what you're saying is that I am reconciled to the other people, not in an ethereal way, but in a very specific relational way with the body of Christ as I have been placed inside of it. What you're saying here must be true about what you're saying here, which is that Christ has bonded you forever with the body of Christ. Our mundane human activity in relationship to one another, is a very local and beautiful sign of Christ's body, Christ's bonded body. It becomes transparent because it is who we are. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're not settlers of Chicago, are we? We are the bonded body of Christ. Would you please stand and let me pray 
a prayer for the church. <laughs> Taken from the Book of Common Prayer. <clears throat> o God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which are being cast down are being raised up, and things which have grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him who through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.